could have dared to imagine that it could be possible even three short years ago. But so many walked by faith and not by sight. So many trusted God for the first time and gave beyond their ability. So many sacrificed so much in order to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So many people saw the vision and postponed their own dreams in order for God's dreams to come true. Love built this, deep love, generous love, sacrificial love, die-hard love, relentless love. Love truly built this. But God has even more dreams for impact. He's not done yet. He has dreams for every house and heart in this community. There's so much more to be and do as we launch from here into the future. Erwin McManus says, what endeavor could we undertake that would be so reflective of the heart of God that even failure would be success? I remember starting this journey together, propelled by the verse in Joshua 3.5, where it says, let us consecrate ourselves for in the days to come, the Lord will do amazing things among us. And have we ever been eyewitnesses of the amazing since we began this journey of faith? God said in Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you will not believe. And I believe God's spirit is stirring fresh life in our church. New dreams, new hope. I believe we're on the cusp of something even bigger than we've experienced up to this point. I believe that God is drawing the lost and the last and the least to his heart. I believe the mission has only just begun, and I believe the best is yet to come. So now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. It feels like yesterday, and, uh, and it feels like forever ago, three years. In fact, I had on my time hop uh, yesterday come up. Six years ago, our Sacrificial Summit sort of banner years campaign. Uh, can I have the lights on out there? I'd love to see everybody here. Can you turn them purple? Is there a way to turn them purple just for a sec? No, just kidding. Um, but it was, I just, if you would have told me six years ago as we were going into that to raise $1.4 million just for a little expansion on that 2.7 acres of property that we were going to do this and we thought it was gonna cost seven million and it ended up costing nine and that we're only $350,000 away, that God was gonna do that, that we were gonna do that, that love did that and that love did this. I, I just, I probably, if you would have showed me this building and that, we were gonna to have to lead toward this, I would have left. Like, aren't you glad that God doesn't show you your future sometimes? Because you'd be like, I can't do that. And I can't do that. I can't lead this. I can't lead this now. Outside of God's superintending supernatural power, there is no way. There is no way we will keep doing what we're doing without God. For without him, we can do nothing. 
And it says in 1 Corinthians 13, if it's not done in love, it means nothing and is nothing. Love built this. Love will continue to carry us into the future. It's just so crazy to be in this place. We've come so far and we definitely want to pause to celebrate that today, but we have so much more to be and become, to do, and to get done. And we wanna remind ourselves that this was never meant to be the end. This is only a means to an end. Man, I remember those days. (laughs) Very vividly, I remember those days. We love your kids, by the way, if, if they're ever crying in here with you and you know in some churches it's like, oh, I feel scorned and whatever. I mean, yes, it's, it's bothersome and annoying. I'm not gonna be, um, I'm not gonna be fake, but, but we do love your family and we have you know, a cry room back there for babies as well as women who are emotional. Uh, that's actually, it's just a joke. It's not real. Um, just, just trying to be truthful. Um, but, but this isn't the end. This is a means to an end. And I don't want to celebrate on this mountaintop and, and not realize that sort of even at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was like, go back down. We're not building shelters up here to stay up here. We got to go back down with the people. And we've got a mission to accomplish. And we're not going to stop until Christ returns or we breathe our last around here. So it's a perfect day to dive into week four of, uh, of the series, Turn the Page, because today we want to talk about turning the page on our successes and our failures. I've really seen that success and failure can paralyze people. I've seen miserable people that are so successful. I've seen happy people that are complete failures. It, it's, um, it's not a respecter of persons. And today I, I just want to let you know that you can have your story stopped by success and failure and we wanna press on. We wanna move forward. Speaking of fear of failure, something about this video we just watched that made me think back to the season right before I received that phone call on January 2nd, 2016, right after New Year's. And it was at 2.26 in the afternoon, a voicemail left, that connected us with our kingdom donors that literally catapulted us into the dream we're sitting in today and the rest is history. But I went back to my journal that was two days prior, it was on Christmas vacation of 2015 leading into the turn of the new year into 2016 and I had a lot on, on my chest and my plate and had really gone through a lot of investigation and exploring um, how to expand and I had doors shut in my face and I had pursued things that came to nothing and I couldn't see through the fog inside my own mind uh, on into the future. I remember in my journal writing these thoughts. Jason, what thoughts are attacking you right now? And this is just my journal. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. You don't have any more good ideas. People are getting ready to leave. Something bad is going to happen soon. A lot of people are disappointed in you right now. Someday you're gonna fail and it's gonna destroy your life. You're not doing a good job anymore. You've lost your edge. What if you can't keep this up, then what? 
You're so alone, man. You're in this all by yourself. What will you do if this all falls apart and you, you'll lose everything? What if you make a wrong decision that causes a chain reaction of destruction? What's next? Do you know where you're leading these people? People, 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 people. Inside your brain. It's crazy up in, in my house. Anybody have fears of the future failure that you haven't put into words like I just articulated, but that bounce around off the window panes in your brain like a blowfly? <laughs> You're not alone. And today, I just, I wanna give you a shot of adrenaline to lift all of our heads and look ahead at what lies before us, counting on us to not just get hung up and stuck in either failure or success, both of which can stop you dead in your tracks. Today I'm gonna to talk about what was my life verse moving into college back in 1992 when Nirvana was just kicking it. 1992 started my freshman year of college. This was my life verse and it's stayed a missional mindset ever since in every season of life. Although Acts 20, 24 is now my life verse. Philippians 3, 10 to 14, Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his suffering, becoming like him. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine writing this and you're in prison? This is one of the prison epistles. This is Paul being chained to a centurion on house arrest and they still gave him his little quill and his parchments and he could write these letters and send them out to these little churches that were about 60 to 75 people to try to let them know how he was doing, to find out how they were doing and to let you know God's doing great. Yeah. I might not be doing great, you might not be doing great, but God's just fine. Amen. And I wanna know him and I wanna be like him. But he isn't gonna just like with some special elixir or, or pixie dust make your life easy. You're not gonna get to know him and be like him by some osmosis or just by going to church. You've gotta have like a visionary tenacity to take hold of things and to press on and to go after a prize and to go after a goal and keep your eyes up heavenward. There's some of this on us. You just don't get to be like Christ by just wanting to know Christ more. I was thinking of him in house arrest writing this and he had all kinds of failures and he had all kinds of successes and I was thinking through his failures and successes that could have paralyzed him. Some of his failures just went through my mind. He had a checkered past that haunted him could read 1 Timothy chapter 1 and he'll tell you about that. He struggled with despair, despair and depression and suicide if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He despaired even of life in his heart. He felt the sentence of death, he said. 
He was pretty sensitive to people's opinions of him all the way through 2 Corinthians, you can see that. He started a lot of churches that were struggling to succeed. Read 1 Corinthians and the incest that was taking place in that little church at the time. He often kept doing things he hated to do and failed to do the things he really wanted to do. Read Romans chapter seven someday. He was afraid a lot that his efforts were in vain or futile and that he was failing people. First Thessalonians is just, he says that over and over again. And he didn't have anyone to show up at his last court sentencing before he was beheaded. No one showed up at his defense. He said, but God stood by my side and shut the lion's mouth. But no humans, after I did all this for them, showed up in my time of need just before he died. A list of his successes, though pretty astonishing, he started 14 churches in Asia Minor that eventually turned into over 2 million churches today. He didn't get hard-hearted even though he went through hard things. Somebody needed to hear that today. He traveled nearly 1,700 miles on land and sea and created something out of nothing, ex nihilo. He wrote half of the New Testament as he fought for the hearts of people. He's responsible for the church leaving Jerusalem after nine years of gridlock. He was educated by the best rabbi of the time, Gamaliel, and debated people of power both in the synagogues as well as philosophers, Epicurean philosophers, Stoic philosophers at Mars Hill. And he turned Rome from worshiping Julius Caesar to worshiping Jesus Christ. So you can go right to um, Rome today and you can see the cross all over the place at a place that was killing Christians under Nero and Julius Caesar. It's just crazy. This Philippians 3 guy said, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And then he talks about all of these key emotions and words and actions, intentional, deliberate, proactive actions that caused that desire to become a reality. I was looking at the words even in this passage and there's words mentioned twice in this text, five of them. One is goal. You have goals in your life. And you're like, oh, I don't make goals. That, that way I'm not disappointed when I don't achieve them. People have to make goals. And when you set goals, you hit walls. And the only thing that gets people through the wall, so when they hit the wall or hit the ceiling, they don't hit the floor, is they got goals that help them climb over the wall or bust through the wall. Goals are important. This guy had a goal. And he pressed on. He said that twice. I press on. I don't care what the pressure is. I press on. And he did this by taking hold of that which Christ took hold of him. So he takes hold and he presses on toward the goal. I love for which was mentioned here twice. He had a goal, but there was a reason behind why he was able to make it to the end. He knew his for which. I was taken hold of for which this. And he went after that. He knew his reason why he was taken hold of so that the that could take place in his life for which he was taken hold of. He knew that there was a for which in his life. 
And then the favorite word, and it's all over the Bible, there's gonna be things that are obstacles, are impediments in your path to get the goal that, that even when you press on and take hold and, and you remember your white hot why, that there's a but that, that has to be like, even though there's resistance and obstacles, but, and, and there's two of them here, but I press on which is to say I don't let my last step distract me from my next step. I don't care how good the last step was or bad the last step was. I sleep and I wake up to new mercies this morning and great faithfulness this morning. Like, I don't care what happened last night. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care exactly what you've done. I just want you to know yesterday's yesterday. Today is filled with new mercies and great faithfulness. It's a new day today. Amen. He had that. And then he said, but one thing I do. I don't just press on. I, one thing I do. I, I don't let everything distract me from the one thing. I'm not good at this. I like to keep a lot of things going. And we're in a culture where we're so distracted and multitasking and a lot of us are doing a lot of things poorly rather than one thing well. And sometimes the only way to get to the end and, and do something excellent is to not do everything mediocre. To, to learn how to say no and to say I do one thing. And I don't let the last step keep me from the next step. And I don't let everything that comes to my, you know, email box, every opportunity or opposition, I don't let everything distract me from the one thing. That one thing's on my brain. And then he said in this text, not that I've obtained all this, which is just a humble admission. I don't know everything. Not that I've arrived at my goal, he said. I'm not there yet. This is, this is great when, when leaders let you know, I have not yet taken hold of it, he says later on in the text. I want you, I haven't obtained it. I haven't arrived. I haven't taken hold of it. But gosh darn it, that's where I'm going. You wanna get on the train with me? A lot of times people look at leaders and they look at, what their perception is of success or a godly person or a God-fearing person or someone who's successful and they don't understand that person has not arrived, they have not obtained, they still haven't laid hold of it, they just have this charisma of heart and this hope to hold on and press on and take hold that's relentless and die hard. And they're gonna be die hard till they die. I'm not done yet. Some of you here are really old. If you're not dead, God's not done. You don't there is not retirement in the Bible. That's a great American dream. And I'm not saying I'm not gonna retire someday. I'm just gonna tell you I'm never retiring from gospel work. I might retire from some occupation that I have, but I'm never retiring from putting one step in front of the other and doing the one thing, which is to spread the good news of the refreshing gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Amen. And I'm gonna do it with my loafers on. I'm not gonna watch Wheel of Fortune down in Florida collecting shells on the Gulf Shores. 
It's just not like my, my one dream is just to escape reality. No, I want to stay in reality because I want to be in it to win it. And I want to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. He didn't call me into professional ministry. He called me just to be a follower of Christ. I just happen to be in a position where he's called me to be a pastor so that I can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that you can get my jumper cables hooked to your dead battery today and you can sort of feel a little bit of the juices flowing like, oh, I gotta wake up, there's a mission at hand and I'm not like this and I'm not myopic and I'm not tunnel vision. Wow, I got my eyes heavenward today. He was just saying, there's more to know and further to go in my relationship with God and life. I don't care if you built a building. I don't care if you do your debt retirement. You are in debt to your love to other people, it says in the scriptures, if I'm remembering correctly. The only debt I carry is my debt of love for others. He goes in Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal. Thanks, Paul, for letting us know you're human, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Listen to this. You have been taken hold of by God so that you would take hold of your one unique life's calling. He didn't just kind of swoop around and accidentally swipe you up. He came down and he chose you and he's called you for a reason. How I say it to myself when I'm a gad about and just sort of wandering around is God got a hold of me so that I would get a hold of my that. Everybody here has a that. He took hold of you so that you would take hold of that which he took hold of you for. And we are in a culture where we are so envious and comparing ourselves to everyone else's that. I want your that. You want my that. You think I'm all that. I think you're all that. God says, I took a hold of you for you to get a hold of your that for which I got a hold of you. It wasn't accidental. accidental. It's not gonna be automatic. You gotta take hold of that for which he took hold of you. And your that is different than my that. And you don't wanna go through this life without knowing, God, why did you grab a hold of my heart? What platform do you have for me? You got a hold of me so that I get a hold of my that. What's my that? Goes on, Philippians 3.13, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I have trouble with the word forgetting. I don't know about you, until I think about it through the lens of another passage that hit me this week, because as much as I try, I can't just forget stuff like it never happened. So the idea of forgetting, I think, has a different connotation than just ceasing to remember by way of some magical amnesia that comes over you. Now check this out in Isaiah 43 where the prophet Isaiah is speaking and God is talking to his people. Forget the former things and then he reiterates, do not dwell on the past. Now that makes sense to me. 
See, I'm doing a new thing. And if you're thinking about the last thing, you're not gonna do the new thing, but you can't dwell on the past, as good or as bad as it may have been. The new thing I have for you, the next thing I have for you, you can't dwell there. Let it go, because I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I just keep coming back to the idea, don't dwell on the past. I can't be standing in front of someone while being a million away, miles away in my head. I can't be present physically but preoccupied emotionally in my home at the self-same moment. And it all has to do with what I'm dwelling on inside of my head. I can be in the midst of this beautiful nostalgia of yesteryear that keeps me from the new thing that God wants me to engage. I can also be in the regret of yesterday that nullifies the needs that are right in front of my face and can even blind me to the beauty right under my nose that I am not but should be over the moon grateful for. We can't let our propensity of dwelling on the past deter us from living in the present which directly impacts our ability to create the future. I just need you to understand, God's not going to do it with or without you. The Bible is chock full of stories where human beings understood God wanted something to happen and he could do it if he wanted to do it because he's sovereign and he's supreme over all, but he has chosen to work in collaboration with us in this joint venture called life and he needs us to take hold of some stuff and to press on to some stuff and to forget some stuff and to lurch forward into the future of what's ahead. He can't do that for us but we can't let our propensity to dwell on the past and kill the present and dismiss the opportunity for us to create the future. We have to press on to win the prize, but it's not, it's not easy to forget the past. Not for me. I mean, I got grudges. And then I've also got these like, man, I just want to go back to that moment and put it in a bottle and I wish I could have freeze frame ages eight to 12 with my daughters, right? And it's the nostalgia of like that age, they still thought I was awesome and yet I could communicate with them, you know, as an, somewhat of a, an adult and they had some abstract understanding that was kicking, but it doesn't stop. I can't, I can't wish that they were there. They're not anymore. They're 16, 18, and 20. I gotta get beyond wishing for that. And that was so good, but it can prevent me from seeing how good now is. And I've, I've failed miserably. I've sinned. And sometimes when I sin, when I go back to that same cycle of sin, I can be thinking about the sin and God's forgiven me and I haven't forgiven myself and I wanna pay penance and I wanna dwell in the cesspool of that sin and show God that I'm really, really, really sorry and I know you've forgiven me but I need to like feel the shame longer for my own good because I'm really shame-based. And God's like, get out of the shame. I died for your sin and your shame. I need you to live today. Quit the nostalgia. Quit the fear. Quit the shame. I need you today to forget the past and lurch toward the future. It's not easy to forget 
the glory of past success or the embarrassment of past failure. Both create this fear of pressing on. You know, I, I was thinking about success and even this whole moment and the last year and all of the people that wanna meet with me to, to know how we did it. What's the secret sauce? Like, how did you run the campaign? And I'm like, dude, this is, you can't even replicate this. It isn't what I did. It isn't what we did. God did so much and they're like, oh, stink, you know? They just want the formula. And partly I'm like, your people aren't as good as my people. Like this church out here, we just got some barbarians. They just do crazy stuff. And they're like, well, my church, you know, twiddles their thumbs and they just wanna know it's risk-free. And I'm like, not my church. Like we just take risks for God. I, I don't know how to put those people in your pews. But then God just showed up and like, yeah, we gave, but he was like, and it's like gold just started coming out the back of a dump truck. And they're like, oh yeah, that's, forget you. I, I thought you did, no, no, God did this. But there's this fear of success. Did I, did I just peek out? I, I was thinking, oh no, now what? This is what I feel when I succeed. I peaked too early. I'm only 45, I'll never do anything that good ever again. I got lucky. It was pure chance. I'm an imposter. I am a fraud. People think I'm special and I know I'm not. I should be satisfied, instead I'm terrified. I don't think I can replicate what just happened. It's only a matter of time before I let people down from here on out. Because I've literally had people like, so what are, what are we gonna do now? Do you, what dreams are you hatching in your mind? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I've had so many near-death experiences and close calls. Can you just give me a couple months to like hyperventilate before you throw me into heart palpitations and arrhythmia? But we're just, come on, baby. If you got that in you, I know you got another gear. I don't got another gear. I actually redlined for three years in third gear. There's no overdrive. And you're like, you would be bouncing like that if you didn't have another gear. I'm just faking it right now. There, I'm telling you, there's not another gear. I can't stand when people are like, you are so this and you're so that. And I'm like, you're so wrong and you're so misled. I'm a human, you're human. You can't fake me out. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't fake you out. Without God, I'm dead meat. Amen. So don't... Don't take any success or the appearance of that and put that on me because that will freak me out and I won't be able to forget the past. It'll stop me in my pursuit of what God really has for my life. You know what all this tells me? There's a gap be between what's achieved, what's perceived, and what's believed. What's achieved? Oh, the goal's been accomplished. What's perceived? You have arrived and you're successful. What is believed in my head? I got lucky and I don't know if I can do it again. And people do this to you. What is achieved? What is perceived? And then what is really believed? I've learned in psychology, they actually have terms for it, which is post-achievement depression or success syndrome. My favorite one is the arrival 
fallacy. Has names. For some of you leaders that have reached that goal, you hit the mile marker and the milestone and all of a sudden everyone's like looking at you like, did that make you feel happy? And you're like, no, I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out. There's, there's a name for that. And I want you right now to know God says to you as much as to a failure, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest too. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't care how much money you've made, what you possess, what kind of position you have, I know that can be heavy. And God's like, forget about that. You're worth more than that to me. I got more for your life than just what you're known for. Failure can cause a similar paralysis of analysis. What I feel when I fail, I'm such a stupid idiot. People won't trust me anymore. This is how I'll be remembered. This will be my epitaph. One failure undoes all the success. Everything I worked for is now discredited. I should have thought through that better. I'm never doing anything like that again. Why did I even take that risk in the first place when everything was going so well? A couple years ago, I read a Huffington Post article online about what were famous failures. I love those two words smashed together. Who refused to give up. And the article started with a quote from J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series uh, of those fantasy novels. She said, it's impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you have failed by default. See, J.K. Rowling was one of those famous failures, one of the most successful authors in history. However, unlike what some might believe, Rowling's fame didn't come easy. While she didn't grow up as a poor child, as an adult, she struggled. She was a single mother living on welfare, trying to support her daughter, and it took her seven years writing in a little coffee shop, her first excerpt of Harry Potter, and when she finished, all 12 major publishing houses rejected the book, which is too bad for them because it sold over 400 million copies in 68 different languages now. Colonel Sanders was the late founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken, Throughout his entire life, he failed in just about every endeavor he was involved in. However, at age 65 years old, if you're not dead, he's not done, right? He set out with his famous chicken recipe and only a $105 social security check to his name in an attempt to sell his franchise chicken model. 1,009 restaurants rejected him before one accepted his offer. Dr. Seuss, one of the most Decorated children's authors of all time is also one of the most famous failures. He intended to earn his PhD in literature from Lincoln College, Oxford, but failed and subsequently dropped out of school. And after he wrote his first book, And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, it was rejected 28 separate times, but he didn't give up. And by 1991, at the time of his death, he sold over 600 million copies of his books in 20 different languages. Albert Einstein one of the greatest thinkers of our time, didn't speak until he was four years old. There's hope for your child. 
He also failed his entrance exam to the Swiss Federal Polytechnic School located in Zurich at 16 years old. And even his father, up until the time of his death, considered his son to be a major failure. After eventually graduating from college, Einstein actually worked as an insurance salesman but quit after some time because he failed at that as well. Last one, Sylvester Stallone. Young adult life was incredibly tough. At one point, he was homeless for three weeks living in New Jersey Port Authority bus station. I've been to that bus station. He was also so broke that while writing the script for Rocky, his electricity was turned off and he was forced to sell his dog for $25 just to turn the lights back on. He was also rejected by talent scouts over 1,500 times. Paul says it this way, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what's ahead. In this passage, the act It's the act of forgetting, not dwelling on the past that keeps you moving ahead. And I'm talking about success or failure, knowns or unknowns, the constancy of a good marriage or the constant reminder of a failed marriage. Good friends, bad friends, no friends. You gotta put them over here. Being too old or too young or too blessed or too messed. Truths, lies, achievement, bereavement, good memories, traumatic memories, the gravy train, the struggle bus. I don't care what it is. The discipline of leaving success or failure behind you and straining toward what's before you takes a spirit of visionary tenacity, even a competitive edge as you read Paul's pep talk to himself. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, this, this last part of the message I wrote at 32,000 feet in the air on the way back from San Diego this last week, and maybe it was the altitude, but I was also getting some altitude in my own spirit, and this is what poured out on this page next to this old woman reading a Danielle Steele novel. I was reading this and I saw the word win and I just was caught with the word win in this. And you'll find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 too where he runs the race to win. This guy Paul wanted to win, not just try, not just hope for the best, not take up space on this planet, not just participate. There's no participation trophies. He wanted to say He competed to win, not go through the motions. He didn't play defensive with a not to lose attitude. Nope, he showed up to win. And when you live to win, you always win even when it appears you've lost or failed. To never try to win is to lose. To set out to avoid pain is to lose. To never put yourself in harm's way for the greater good is to lose. To never love because of the risk of hurt is to lose. To make it to the end of your life, never attempting anything costly or daring or adventurous is to lose. When did the church stop living to win? putting on the full court press, trying to get the inside lane, blitzing the quarterback, going for broke, attempting the two-point conversion in overtime, going for the kill shot, holding nothing back, leaving it on the field in every sense of the word. And it was clear, Paul was in it to win it, as they say. And winning is daring greatly instead of pursuing safety with your life. Winning doesn't accept failure as just fatal or final, because it's not. 
Winning is picking yourself up off the mat, throwing haymakers into round 15, swinging for the fences in the bottom of the ninth, running the marathon, willing your legs to throw themselves forward, one out in front of the other, when you've all but lost feeling in your muscles and you're telling your cramps that they can wait to whine at the finish line. Anybody ever been in a marathon? Winning isn't just an attitude, it's a proactive action. And I don't care if you have it made in the shade right now or if you're in the shadow of death, God's gonna look at both individuals and say, move forward. Don't dwell on the past regardless of its quality or lack thereof. Press on toward the prize. Take hold of that for which I've taken hold of you. Don't rest on your laurels. Commit to live well in the day that is this. Move forward if only in your mind. Don't die inside your head before you're dead. Live while you're alive. I made you for more. I'm not finished with you yet. Do you hear God talking to you? That last thing, that's not the last thing I have for you. If you're going through something really hard, keep going. If you're experiencing something really moving, keep moving. Keep your eyes on the prize. Look ahead. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't be distracted by your demonic past or your decorated past. I led you to that so that you would get over it. So press on. Press on. Don't let the bad press about you stop you from pressing on. And, and certainly don't let the good press about you stop you from pressing on. Press on to take hold of the prize and do it to win it. Remember, this isn't one of those small callings. This is the high calling of the most high God. He didn't take hold of you for you to let go. He didn't take hold of you to let up heading into retirement. He didn't take a hold of you so that you could get yours down here on this planet. No way. He took a hold of you so that you would take a hold of that for which he took a hold of you in the first place. That thing, your particular and peculiar thing, he created you to get a hold of yourself and then take a hold of your customized calling today. You're not an accident. He knew why he got a hold of you and it wasn't for you to live a nice little life. It was for you to be daring and caring and live out some pretty audacious dreams, big dreams. But sometimes it's not big things. Sometimes it's just small things with just big, great, big love. And that's an awesome thing. Philippians 3.10, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection, fellowship with his suffering, becoming like him. I wanna know him and I wanna be like him. Well, how does it feel to want? Everybody wants. You see, you want to know Christ, that's great. Anybody can want to, but will you have the will to, is what the rest of the passage says. Do you have the willpower to know Christ's resurrection power? Will you will yourself to press on when the pressure's so intense you're about to tap out? Or do you simply just want to know him? Don't be sidetracked by success or fooled by failure. Whether you succeed or fail, you never lose. Never. You learn. You learn. You don't lose. You learn how to yearn all the more for the prize of God's pleasure. You seek to make his calling and selection and election of your one exquisite little life worth this bloody sacrifice. You seek to press on to take hold and never let go until you win that battle of the will. And you have a choice today. You can keep letting the past paralyze you in the present, effectively disabling your future, or you can move heavenward, eyes up, through every high or low. 
Jesus did this. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, for who the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such suffering and opposition so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. He had to do this too. And he didn't do it so that we wouldn't have to. He did it to show us how to. Because Jesus had good days and bad days. And he chose to wake up to the fresh mercies that are new every morning to make today better than yesterday. And he relished and reveled in the joy of the present. And he felt the scourge and the ache of each hurtful moment. But he didn't stay in either place. He moved toward tomorrow armed with relentless hope. And I ran out of time. I want to leave you with a word all the way at the end of this passage, and it's the word heavenward, heavenward. It's it's not good enough for me to get a bunch of you to not look over your shoulder backward. And it actually, since we're in church, and I'm not just Tony Robbins or Zig Ziglar up here giving you a motivational pep talk, or you're not reading some self-help book from Barnes and Noble, I am not just trying to get you to not go backward and to simply go forward. It's about going heavenward. And the word is ano, which means upward and onward. C.S. Lewis would have called this further up and further in. Lifting your eyes upward. It's not about looking backward, not about having great, singular, single-minded, wholehearted vision, moving forward, falling forward, failing forward, going forward. I mean, you can go forward the rest of your life and do amazing things, and if it was never heaven for, heavenward, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. It just burns up. That's why my mom used to say, only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's in my brain. It's heavenward. God, I'm I'm going through and I'm forgetting certain things and I'm striving for certain things and I want to know you and I'm not putting this on you. I know in order to know you, I got to lay hold of some things and I got to press on through some things and I got to like set my mind on things and go after the win and I got to look at the prize, but I got to be called up. I got to be doing it for you, God. So I leave you with that word, heavenward, today. He would leave and think, man, is this week going to be heavenward (laughs) or just forward? You can go to great inspirational, motivational sessions, and they'll get you out of the doldrums and out of the miry pit, and you'll go forward and make something of your life. But will you if it's not heavenward? I'm not interested in just forward. It's got to be forward in order to win the prize for which Christ has called you heavenward because that's why he took hold of you so you'd take hold of that. And you can do it. I can, I can literally about hear God's voice right now, like before you dismiss the people, tell them you're really talking to them. I'm not talking to walls. I'm not talking to cameras. And people that are watching online right now, how you doing? Talking to you. This is you. This is Paul talking to us and saying, you can do this. 
And I know whatever your past is, success or failure, and whatever pressure that brings that keeps you from lurching forward, I'm looking at the DeLuis right now. We're talking about people who lost their son in a car accident. How, how do you ever strive toward anything heavenward? Looking at sharing the front row, lost two sons over the last nine years. How do you do that? I just talked to a couple who lost their newborn here in the last several months. How, how do you do that? I'm telling you, only when God's spirit inhabits your heart and gives you a power, a resurrection power, to suffer with Christ and to feel his resurrection. Can you become like him in his death as to so as experience the resurrection? And I'm sorry, there's no way you're gonna experience resurrection power unless you experience the power of death. Some of you, I want the resurrection to happen in my life. So you know what that means? You're gonna have to die. Something right today is gonna have to die if you want something to resurrect. So God, keep us heavenward today as we leave this place. Eyes up, eyes forward, fixing our eyes on you. This building, Lord, this, this initiative, this endeavor, this has been great. We give you all the glory, God. We, we pause to just say thank you, but we pause we do not hit the kill switch, we're not done. We only are pausing to now move forward because there are hearts and houses today that are in desperate need of encountering to know Christ and to become like him and use us as your vessels and your vehicles to, to get that message to everyone that needs to hear it. We love you, God. We honor you today. We celebrate you, all you are, and all that you've done in our lives. We couldn't do anything without you, Lord. We are powerless without your power. So call us heavenward, and may we win the prize someday, because life is a vapor, really, really short. We wanna play the long game, not the short game. So keep our eyes and what really matters for eternity and help us to live lives that echo into eternity. And I pray this in your son's name, amen, amen. Hey, you're dismissed, thanks for coming today.